Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz Peterson, and today I am discussing lucid dreams with Robert Wagner. So excited to have him joining us today. I'm going to read his bio for those of you who may not know who he is. So Robert wrote the acclaimed book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, now in its 10th printing, and co-authored the award-winning Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple with Caroline McCready. Both books are in Audible, Kindle, and CD MP3 form. His books have been translated into French, German, Chinese, Korean, Czech, Finnish, and other languages as well. A past president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams, Wagner serves at co-editor of the online magazine, The Lucid Dreaming Experience, the only ongoing publication devoted specifically to lucid dreaming. A lucid dreamer since 1975, he has logged more than 1,000 lucid dreams. Wow, Robert. Robert, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Liz. It's great to be here. So great to have you. I love this topic. So you discuss in your book early on that you actually, you started dreaming at a very young age. Can we just jump into it right from there? Yeah. So, so, um, I started lucid dreaming spontaneously, probably when I was 10 or 11 years old. And, and I'll tell you my very first spontaneous lucid dream. I found myself in the public library. And so I was looking at the books and suddenly through the book stacks comes walking a little Tyrannosaurus Rex. It was probably about four feet high. And even as a 10 year old, I thought, wait a second, dinosaurs are extinct. How can this be? And at that moment I realized, oh, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming this. I must be dreaming. And so I told myself, well, if I'm dreaming, then I can wake up. And I told myself to wake up and I woke up. And so that was my very first spontaneous lucid dream. And it was probably uh, six or seven years later that I figured out a practice to induce lucid dreams. And how was that exactly? You know, I was reading a book by Carlos Castaneda called Journey to Ixland. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Castaneda was a UCLA graduate student in anthropology, and he went to the Southwest U.S. to try and learn, find a shaman who would teach him about peyote and mescaline and, and psychoactive plants. And so he meets Don Juan, who's a shaman, and Don Juan in this book tells Carlos that he wants him to find his hands in the dream state and realize he's dreaming. And, and so I'm reading this, I'm thinking, what? You, you could find your hands in the dream and realize you're dreaming? Well, where's the technique? And so there really wasn't a technique. And, and so Liz, I, I just invented my own. Uh, I, I was a junior in high school and I knew about the power of suggestion. So each night before I'd go to sleep, I'd just look at the palms of my hands while telling myself quietly in my mind, tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And I just repeat that for about five minutes while I looked at the palms of my hands. So on the third night of doing this practice, um, I'm walking through my high school hallway and all of a sudden my hands just pop right in front of my face. And I go, oh, my hands, this is a dream. And it was so wild to realize, hey, those football players over there, they're dream figures. 
And I, I reached over and touched the wall just to see what it would feel like. And it felt cool and nubby, just exactly like it should. And so I went on and just had a fantastic uh, lucid dream experience uh, that, that was truly epic. It was really phenomenal. And so that got me hooked on lucid dreaming. So lucid dreaming is becoming conscious in your dreams. Right. You, you, you realize, wait a second, I'm dreaming this. This is a dream. Because sometimes people think of lucid dreaming as a vivid dream or a dream within a dream. And it's not that. A lucid dream is any dream in which you realize within a dream that you're dreaming. And it's been scientifically validated since 1980, even though it's an ancient spiritual practice as well. Oh, wow. What was the, how did they dis discover it? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, the, so there's kind of two discoverers. Um, uh -huh. uh, the one most people are familiar with is Stephen LeBurge at Stanford in 1978. But before him, there was a grad student in England at the University of Hull named Keith Hearn. And he met this guy, Alan Worsley, who said he could have lucid dreams. And so Keith Hearn started to think about it and thought, well, how could you scientifically validate that? How, how could you get evidence that would show someone was lucidly aware? And then he realized, oh yeah, in a regular dream, in most dreams, we have rapid eye movement. And so like, if you watch your spouse or significant other asleep in bed, you'll see their eyes moving around sometimes. Or if you look at a little baby, babies spend about 80% of their uh, sleep time in, in rapid eye movement dream state. So, so what Keith Hearn thought was, okay, what if I bring Alan Worsley into the sleep lab? I put the rapid eye movement pads on his eyes that will record his eye movements. And I tell him, look, when you become lucidly aware in the dream, move your eyes left to right eight times, and that'll show up as a very bizarre signature on the rapid eye movement pad readout. And it'll show that you're consciously aware in the dream state. And they had other measures on him to show that he still remained asleep. And um, it was April 12th, 1975, that he consciously signaled, hey, I'm lucidly aware in here. And, and when, when uh, Keith Hearn saw it, he said, he said, philosophically and scientifically, it was mind blowing. It was like getting signals from the unconscious universe that, hey, I'm aware here in the unconscious. So that's, that information came out along with Stephen LaBerge's uh, research in 1980-81. And that's kind of the modern era of the science of lucid dreaming. God, that's amazing. And what is the history like with ancient cultures around lucid dreaming? Right. So, so uh, I, I want to say that shamanic and native cultures have used lucid dreaming as a spiritual practice for many thousands of years. Um, I, I remember uh, reading a book by Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche. Um, he's a Buddhist teacher who teaches Buddhist dream yoga. And he said that Buddhist dream yoga has been around for about 2000 years. And so they kind of marry the practice of lucid dreaming with Buddhist philosophy, and then you get Buddhist dream yoga. But he said for 6,000, I believe he says 6,000 years before then, the Bonpo Tibetan shamans used lucid dreaming uh, to do uh, various things. And wow. so I, I'd say even in ancient Egypt, there were societies of the night 
And I, I'm quite confident they use lucid dreaming. Uh, in Sufism from the 11th century, there's Abin el-Arabi. It's obvious from his works that he was a lucid dreamer and used lucid dreaming to connect to the divine. And, and even in Taoism, uh, one time in a lucid dream, I met some Taoist uh, lucid dreamers and, and I woke up, I didn't really know that much about uh, Eastern cultures. And so I had to write some of my Chinese Buddhist friends and I said, who are these guys in black silk robes and, and black silk? And they said, oh, those, those are Taoists. And I said, Taoists practice lucid dreaming? And they go, oh yeah, but it's a secret society that, that the normal person would never know even exists. And so it's, it's kind of wild when you realize that this whole uh, lucid dreaming has been this spiritual technique for thousands of years, but only here in the last uh, 40 or 50 years has it been scientifically validated. Wow, that's amazing that you were able to see lucid dreaming practitioners in your dream. You know, it was really interesting. Uh, so the, the, there were these two guys, these Taoist monks, um, an older guy and a younger guy. And when the older guy saw me, he nudges the younger guy who suddenly was surprised to see me as well. And I was surprised to see them because it was obviously that they were consciously aware. But uh, it's, it's interesting when you have those kind of encounters. And uh, there's sometimes when you have encounters that you can bring back verifiable information. Uh, but normally you have to be a very experienced lucid dreamer to try to do something like that. Wow. And the way you describe it, it's almost like they were lucid dreaming and seeing you in their lucid dream and vice versa. Right. So let's dive in, but that goes quantum. <laughs> right? Well, you, you know, it's interesting. Um, the One thing that I've realized going deeper into lucid dreaming is that we all exist in an interconnected oneness. And maybe my term interconnected oneness is what modern physicists would call the quantum field or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, there's some interesting um, in the science of dreaming um, about oh, 50 years ago, there was some interesting research done on dream telepathy. And this was done at the Maimonides uh, Sleep Laboratory in Brooklyn, New York. And, and they really got some amazing results on dream telepathy. And so sometimes I wonder, there's a lot of wonderful stories of people picking up information outside of their own knowing, or, you know, like in the Civil War, a mother would dream about her son, and now he doesn't have a leg. And then two weeks later, she'd get a letter, oh, your son's in the hospital, he lost his leg, and blah, blah, blah. So, so there's a lot of fascinating stories like that. But I, I think... I think what it helps us realize is that besides this phenomenal realm of waking life, that there's this, you can call it a hidden realm or an invisible realm or a quantum realm or an interconnected oneness where, where people engage each other, where, where mass consciousness engages each other. And, and I think that's really a fascinating thing. Yeah, I think so too. And I have had some experience with precog dreams, precognition dreams, and um, various other things that lead me to believe that there's, you know, we're tapping into areas beyond this physical life, right? Not only, how would I say this, our Akashic records, perhaps, but also past lives and other things. Can you discuss that a little bit? Well, 
it, it's interesting to uh, look at precognitive dreams. Uh, so, so here would be an example of a lucid dream that uh, some precognitive information appears to get passed on. So uh, my father passed away and it was about three years later and I'm in a space and I, I see this uh, ladder and coming down the ladder is my father. And I think, wait a second, dad's been dead for three years now. This has to be a dream. So at that moment, I became lucidly aware I knew it was a dream. But then I began to wonder, well, wait a second, is this my father as a dream symbol, as a mental projection of grief or loss or longing or whatever? Or is this my father as a spiritual person in the after death state? And so, so I thought, okay, I'm going to check this out. So he comes down, we greet each other. And I, I, I look at him and I said, hey, dad, you're from the land of the dead. So when do you think mom's going to pass away? And he says, oh, probably in two to six years. I said, of what? He says, a uh, heart condition. And then I asked him another question and he responded. And then he told me, please be quiet because I came to tell you things. And then the next 10 minutes, he started telling me things about the family and things he wanted me to be aware of. Anyway, so I woke up in the morning and I thought, well, gosh, now I'm going to have to wait about two years. It was 23 months later, my mom went to the hospital and almost died of a heart condition. Prior to that point, she'd never had any heart problems, at least that I was aware of. Wow. Then about three years after that, she went back to the hospital and almost died of a heart condition again, this time because she was taking a prescribed medicine that was actually harming her heart. But, but she made it through that two to six year period uh, that my father as a deceased dream figure identified. So that would bring up, you know, where, where is he getting that information? Mm. Or where does that information come from? And one thing that I do like, he brought it up in kind of probab probabilistic terms that it's a probable thing that might happen and not a guaranteed thing that on you know, March 19th in 2027, that she's going to pass away in a car accident or something like that. But, but I, I did have another uh, funny one uh, occurred just um, a, a couple months ago. Uh, I, I was doing a workshop and uh, in the workshop, uh, I'd suggested to people in their lucid dreams, they can ignore the dream figures and just reach out to their unconscious mind or their larger awareness. And so you just hey, dream, show me something important for me to see. And then, then sometimes the entire lucid dream will change. So this, this one woman found this really interesting. And she, she is actually a pretty good lucid dreamer, but I don't, I don't think she'd ever heard of reaching out to the larger awareness. So she becomes lucidly aware. She ignores the dream figures and she shouts out to the larger awareness, hey, dream, how do I deal with my ex-husband? He's driving me crazy. And <laughs> And, and suddenly the larger awareness, so it's this non-visible awareness, it, it responded to her and told her that she should try to develop a reproachment with her husband and, uh, and, and uh, get back together on good terms with him. And when she heard that, she was just totally pissed off. She, she told the larger awareness, the guy is a total jerk. I can't stand him why should I try to reconnect with him? And then the larger awareness said, you're going to need him when you become physically ill as an elderly woman. He's the only one who will care and take care of you in, the, in those final months. Oh, wow. And, 
And this really, but the idea that this guy, her ex would do that, this even pissed the woman off more. So then she, she did this. She said, if this is true, show me something that's gonna happen tomorrow that I can confirm that this information is valid. And she said, suddenly, you know, in her field of vision in the dream, she sees this smashed up silver SUV in a ditch. And, and she's thinking, what? what? What is this? You know, I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, she woke up, she wrote down the lucid dream. About three hours later, she turns on the TV and Tiger Woods has smashed up his car in, in Southern California. And she said what she saw in the lucid dream looked exactly uh, like what happened, you know, six hours later in, in uh, Southern California. Wow. So, so when you have those kind of moments, it makes you feel like, okay, maybe in lucid dreaming, we can pull out information that, that seems likely to occur. And sometimes stuff that's really close in time seems almost 99.99% guaranteed to happen. Uh, stuff that's further out, you know, there's always possible probabilities that might occur that would change. Oh, that makes sense. Wow, that is amazing. You mentioned larger awareness. So when did you discover the larger awareness and while you were lucid dreaming? And tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, I taught myself how to lucid dream in 1975 by doing this hand technique that I, that's kind of a variation of Castaneda's uh, idea of finding your hands in the dream. But then in 1985, so 10 years later, I've been having a lot of lucid dreams. Uh, the scientific evidence came out in 1980, 81. I, I joined the Lucid Dream Explorers group where every month we had a goal to achieve in our lucid dream. And this went on for, for three years, basically. And so it, there it was in the spring of 1985. The goal was to find out what the dream figures in your lucid dream represent. And so I thought, oh, that, that's easy. I, I, I could do that. And so I became lucidly aware, followed a woman into an office. Now there's a receptionist, two other women, and this guy in a three-piece suit. And, and so I walk up to the guy in the three-piece suit, and in my Midwestern way, I, I ask him very politely, excuse me, but what do you represent? And suddenly, a voice from above him boomed out a partial response. And, and I thought, this is weird, because normally the dream figure would tell me. And so I looked up and I said, blah, 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 what? And then it responded with the full explanation of what that dream figure represented. And so I thought, okay, I've done the task. I got to wake up and write this down. But the next day I thought, started to think, is there an awareness behind the dream? Why did a non-visible voice respond? And so after that, I began to explore it. And so in a lucid dream, I'd asked to experience a concept. And suddenly you, want, you just can't believe what happened when you asked to experience a concept. Or I'd ask, hey, dream, show me something important for me to see. And then sometimes the entire lucid dream would change or one thing would appear. Um, I, I, I ran the gamut on the knowledge of, you know, kind of the, the width and breadth of the larger awareness. Well, one time I remember saying, hey, dream, show me my life as if it was a painting. And suddenly in the sky above me appears this 80 foot by 30 foot painting. That's my life. And, and when you start to think in a microsecond that happened and all the symbolic imagery that was in that painting, you just realize that the creativity 
of our own inner awareness is just light years ahead of our ego self and a hundred times our conscious waking self. So, so uh, that's when I realized there's an inner awareness and it is, it's truly phenomenal. And the great thing is, uh, that's why I call my first book, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self, because uh, when, when people get into this, uh, other lucid dreamers have the same experience. They reach out to the larger awareness. Now, another funny thing about this, and I, I know I'm going on here a little bit. Uh, what do you do? So I found that out in 1985, and I was with this group, that probably 30 people all around the country. Some were professors, some were scientists and all. And, and so they have the written record that was photocopied of my lucid dream at that time. But then it was eight years later, Carlos Castaneda writes a book called The Art of Dreaming. And in that book, he asked his shamanic teacher, Don Juan, who is this non-visible voice that responds to my requests when I'm in a lucid dream state? Wow. And Don Juan goes, oh, I call that the dreaming emissary. It'll always tell you the truth whenever you ask a question in the dream state. And, and the reason I bring this up is there's a lot of people, and there's even some books out there who said uh, Carlos Castaneda was a quack, that he made all this stuff up, that he just went to the library and looked through a bunch of esoteric literature and developed this kind of story and narrative. And, and I'll tell you, back then in, in 1993, no one was talking about this. And all the comments that Don Juan and Carlos made about the dreaming emissary, as they called it, that they're all exactly uh, like I had experienced as well. And, and so I, I realized that if nothing else, you know, the guy knew something about lucid dreaming. He had some lucid dreaming skills and enough to interact with this non-visible awareness. Uh, so. Wow. So have you ever gone in and asked the invisible awareness, like, what are you? You know, uh, a lot of people have done that, and uh, it's 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 kind of interesting. Um, uh, you, you'll get a variety of responses, and and I think what's going on there is, um, in a lucid dream, um, everything gets filtered through our belief system, you know, and and our mindset, and so people who are doubters get a certain response, people who are believers get another response. So you're you're going to get some of that. But it was interesting. One time I was giving a workshop and this one guy, great lucid dreamer, but every time he asked a question of his larger awareness, it would respond basically with a Zen koan. Who is the you that asked, you know, this question? And he would tell me what the responses were. And I was just like blown away, you know, what, what is this? Uh, but in any case, uh, it's interesting, back in the ancient times in Greece, there were like 23 different terms for the soul or the spirit or the psyche or, or whatever, because it's kind of like such a vast thing that there's different characteristics of it. I mean, sometimes it's an educator, sometimes it's a helper, sometimes it's a this and that. And, and so, so I, I think that's why you kind of get different uh, responses when, when you try to unmask uh, the awareness behind the dream. Oh, I see. That's fascinating. Do you have any stories um, about asking deeper questions with the awareness? Well, you know, so, uh, so here would be an example of, um, of someone who, who, uh, um, so, so
Oh, Robert froze. Okay, here we go. We're back. Okay, I apologize. That's okay. So here's an example of a lucid dreamer who found out that this inner awareness actually exists. Um, my niece, I met her and she's about 20 years old. And, and I asked her, have you ever had any lucid dreams? And she said, oh yeah, I've had 10 or 15, but they don't mean anything. And I go, what do you mean they don't mean anything? And she said, oh, when I become lucid, if I'm in a bad part of town, I'll paint up the buildings and plant flowers. And, and I, I thought, wow, a, a, a dream decorator, that, that's my niece. She, she's a lucid <laughs> dream decorator. And I said, well, if you want to find out if they have meaning, then this is what you got to do. The next time you're in a lucid dream, just ignore the dream figures and shout out to the larger awareness. Hey, dream, show me something important for me to see. So it's about a month later, she finds herself being chased by a lion. She hides behind a rock and suddenly the lion is jumping over the rock and it occurs to her, um, lions don't run free in Kansas City. This has to be a dream. And so she becomes lucidly aware. She points at the lion and makes it stop uh, in mid-flight. And then she remind, remembers my uh, suggestion and she shouts out, hey, dream, show me something important for me to see. Suddenly, when she does that, a long blue hallway appears, and at the end of it's a little white-haired lady. And so she walks down there and realizes that this is her great-grandmother who died when she was like three or four years old. And the great-grandmother says, Jane, it's so wonderful to see you, and you have such wonderful timing. And Jane said, what do you mean I have wonderful timing? And the great-grandmother responded, I get out of purgatory tomorrow. And, and Jane had to ask me, what's this purgatory thing that she brought up? Uh, and, and so, you know, purgatory, of course, is uh, kind of an in-between place where after you uh, absolve or resolve enough of your sins, you'll, you can move on to heaven, uh, apparently. So anyway, they begin to have a long, they have a long discussion. And at the very end of it, the great grandmother says, I want you to tell your mom to remember the back room in my house. And and Jane says, what? And she repeats, just tell your mom to remember the back room in my house. So they say goodbye. Jane wakes up. She gives me a call. She says, what do I do with this? And I said, you're the one who wanted to know if lucid dreams mean anything. So you got to call up your mom, tell her you had a lucid dream about great grandmother and, and explain what happened. She does that. And her mom burst into tears. Her mom says the happiest moments in her childhood was when they would get invited over to great grandma's house or grandma's house every Saturday morning. And they could, all the grandkids could dress up as kings and queens and princesses in the back room. And so there were no rules in the back room of grandma's house. And those were her happiest memories as a little kid. And so I asked mm -hmm. Jane, so why was this important to you? Because you asked specifically, show me something important. And she says, oh, my father, has a terminal illness. He has multiple sclerosis. And ever since I was a little kid, people told me, oh, he'll die soon. He'll, he'll be dead soon. Mm -hmm. And even at that time, he was still alive. I, I think he died a few years after. But she said, so ever since I was a little kid, I've always wondered what happens to people when they die. That, that's why that was so important to me. Oh, so again, th this is how wild this can be, uh, Liz. Um, um, if, if you want to hear one more story, I, I have a great story from a, from a meth addict who wrote me. Sure. So 
So my first book comes out in uh, 2008, 2009. And about three years later, I get this email from this guy. And he says, I'm writing you now that I got my associate's degree from community college, because I told myself that if I could do that, then that would mean that I'd be off drugs and clean for at least two years. So here's my story. He said, um, at age 16 was the first time he got arrested for, for meth uh, possession. And he was a total meth addict from a dysfunctional family. Then a couple of years after that, he got arrested again. And this time they put him in like a 60 day rehab or something like that. And he said he was bored out of his mind. So the drug counselor had on his uh, table, uh, my first book, Lucid Dream Gateway to the Inner Self. So the kid borrows it because he's bored out of his mind. And he knows that he's had some lucid dreams in the past. He gets to the part about interacting with your larger awareness. And that just blows his mind. He just never even thought of such a thing. So in his lucid dreams, he begins to reach out to the larger awareness. And he said the one instance that totally changed his life, he reached out to the larger awareness and they were having a conversation. And then the larger awareness said, do you want to see what your life will be like if you continue to use drugs? Wow. And he said, sure. And he said for the next 10 minutes, it was like watching a video of all the people he would hurt all the harm he would do to his body, all the harm he would do, you know, just to society and everything. And he said, when he got done seeing what would happen if he continued to use drugs, that's when he told himself that he was going to sober up and become clean. And, and so, so he wanted to write me after he'd gotten his community college degree, because that would take at least two years. And, and he just said, you just can't believe how powerful that was interacting with my larger awareness. Wow, that is amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so working with the dream as far as healing ourselves then, so we can go in and ask the different aspects and in our lucid dream for information, we can talk to this greater awareness and gain insight. So how can we use that to benefit ourselves and help us along in our healing process? Right. So, so there's some different approaches here and different ways of thinking about this. Um, already, lucid dreaming is used by some psychologists to help people who have recurring nightmares from post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and so what they do, they teach them to become lucidly aware in that recurring nightmare. And then all they have to do is just change one thing, just one thing in that recurring nightmare, because now they're lucid and now they can make that car red that was green or whatever. And what normally happens is that after that lucid dream, then their nightmares basically cease. And it's not to say that all the aspects of PTSD go away, but at least now they're able to get a decent night's sleep and their spouse or significant other can get a decent night's sleep. And, and a lot of them turn to drugs and alcohol just to be able to sleep. They, they got to, you know, they're afraid of having nightmares. They don't want to fall asleep and, and they find it hard. So, so it's really interesting to see uh, psychologists understand that, oh yeah, you can use lucid dreaming to resolve nightmares. But people have also anecdotally now uh, used it to resolve phobias, fear of heights, fear of insects, fear of public speaking, you, you, you name it, and fear of flying. Uh, people have done it with that. People have also used it, I think, to uh, resolve bad habits and, and things like the gentleman with uh, 
who had the meth addiction. But you can also use lucid dreaming when it comes to physical healing, I believe. And, and the person who made me aware of this was Ed Kellogg. Uh, back in the 19, late 1980s, I think he wrote a publication um, for the lucidity letter that about this idea of healing yourself in a lucid dream. So one time uh, in waking reality, he was eating a shish kebab and he was, he was enjoying it so much that he actually poked his tonsil with the shish kebab skewer and, and it became uh, infected and inflamed. And he said he had red lines running down the side of his face. That's how infected it got. And it was really painful. And so one night he became lucidly aware and in the lucid dream, he directed healing intent onto his infected tonsil and, and throat area. And he said, when he woke up, I, I believe he said, uh, 90% of the pain had gone away overnight. And, and within a few hours, the red lines disappeared and the whole thing took care of itself. And so, so then one time uh, Ed was interacting with a friend who had been trying to get rid of her planter warts on her feet because the planter warts were so painful, it was hard for her to walk. And she'd been trying to visualize these things to go away. And so what happened, uh, she met Ed, Ed suggested that she try in a lucid dream to make it all get worked out. And so that woman, she became lucidly aware. She created a ball of healing light and put it over each of her feet intending to heal the plantar warts. And she said that when she woke, overnight the plantar warts had turned black and within 10 days they fell off and never returned. Wow. And, and so those are just a couple of examples of people who have used lucid dreaming to uh, change, the, change their physical body and, and promote healing. And what about psychological healing? You mentioned earlier around belief systems. So can we work lucidly in our dreams to do some healing work on ourselves and kind of work through our negative beliefs and that sort of thing? You know, um, I, I think that's one of the beautiful things about lucid dreaming. It, it reflects back to us our beliefs. So, so for example, uh, if, if I became lucidly aware and decided to fly through the wall and believed I could easily, I'd just fly through the wall easily and go explore. But if I was going to fly through the wall and believe that it was going to be trouble, I would either hit the wall and bounce off or I'd get stuck halfway through, even though it's dream stuff. And, and so that's when you realize that your beliefs get reflected back to you um, in the lucid dream state. And that's why limiting beliefs keep us from growing. You know, and oftentimes we, we like to stay in this comfort zone where we feel secure. And whenever we uh, interact with anything that uh, makes us want to grow or makes us want to deal with some of our fears, a, a lot of times we retreat back to the comfort zone. And so th that was one thing I learned as I kept going deeper into lucid dreaming, that you've, whenever you meet a fear, you've got to resolve it or try to resolve it or understand it better in order to grow as a person. And whenever I saw a limiting belief, then I realized, oh, this is also limiting me in the waking world. And, and so I've got to resolve these limiting beliefs as well. But, but I, I do have one uh, really powerful story. Um, I, I was invited down to Bogota, Colombia uh, to give a weekend workshop. And um, 
so it was through a Spanish translator and, and sitting in the front row, there was a young woman, probably 40 years old, but she had a lot of pain in her face. And, and I, I don't know, you, all of us have probably met somebody who has a lot of pain in their face. You just see it. You don't know why it's there. You just, you see that something's happened in their life that they have a lot of pain. Anyway, uh, so I'm talking that whole weekend and talking about emotional healing and physical healing. This woman asked great questions. So I knew she was a good lucid dreamer because she asked the kind of questions a good lucid dreamer would, would ask. Anyway, they had me come back to Bogota six months later. And so walking through the door six months later is this same woman, but now 80% of the pain is gone from her face. And she's taller and younger looking and, and all that. And I walk up to her and I said, what happened to you? And she said, I came to your first workshop and it had never conceptually occurred to me that you could use lucid dreaming for emotional healing. She said, I'd never, ever thought about that. So I did exactly like you said, I made a plan for emotional healing in my lucid dream. And the reason I say that is sometimes we'll become lucidly aware and we'll want to do something, but we, we don't even know how to do it. We just like, we sit there the whole dream thinking, oh gosh, how can I do that? Or, or we'll come up with some crazy, stupid way. But anyway, so I told her, figure it out in the waking world so that when you become lucidly aware, you can remember the process of what you want to do. So she said, later that month, I became lucidly aware. I remember I wanted to heal my emotional trauma. She said, I called out. I remembered my plan too, to call out for a spiritual figure. She called out for this spiritual figure. And she asked the spiritual figure to help heal. She said, heal my heart. And she said, suddenly the spiritual figure put out its hands. And from its hands came this blue light that just came shooting right into her heart. And she said she felt this incredible ecstatic energy. She said it was just incredible. And she knew she, knew she was being healed. And she said when she woke up, she said, here was the weird thing. She goes, I can still remember the traumatic incidents that happened in my life, but now there's no pain associated with them. She said, it's like all the pain has evaporated. And, and she said, it was the most phenomenal thing. She just couldn't believe what, what one powerful lucid dream like that um, could evoke in her life. That's incredible, especially if we can all start tapping into this. You know, you the know, possibilities for the things that we're carrying around from our past could oh, easily be dissolved. You know, it, it, it really is something that um, now a lot of us uh, don't have like uh, five alarm fire, emotional drama. Some of us just have one alarm uh, emotional trauma, you know, whether we were bullied in school or God knows what happened. Yeah. But I, th I think sometimes what you could do in a lucid dream would be something like this. If you wanted a plan, you, you could uh, announce, you know, now when I go into that next room in this lucid dream, I'll meet a representation of whatever fear or issue it, issue it is. And then you step in there and you'll meet a dream representation of it. And, and I want to tell you that the thing is not to fight it or run away from it. The thing is to send it love and understanding and compassion no matter how horrible it is. And normally what you'll do is you'll watch the thing shrink 
And if you send a total understanding and compassion, then it will become light or energy. And that light energy will come back into your body and, and you'll reclaim that kind of uh, lost part of yourself, uh, so to speak. But oh, that's, that's how, that's how I'd approach it. It's almost like you're doing a mini soul retrieval on yourself. You know, I, it's interesting, uh, Liz, uh, a lot of people see that lucid dreaming is an open platform. And so uh, sometimes I'll have uh, people who are, have trained in reiki healing. Mm-hmm. They'll become lucidly aware. And in the lucid dream, now they'll start using the reiki, uh, you know, to focus healing energy on someone or something like that. And oftentimes they'll find that it's a very powerful result, but, but you're right. Uh, um, some people call it soul, soul retrieval. Some people mm-hmm. call it, you know, healing the inner child or the lost child right. or whatever. But I, I do think uh, it's an incredibly powerful way of engaging that kind of energy. Now, one thing the Buddhists say, the Buddhist dream yoga practitioners, they say an action performed in a lucid dream is nine times more powerful than one performed at the waking state. And I think what they're saying is that you're deep down in the unconscious mind and you're lucidly aware. And so anything that you do at that deep level can be exceptionally powerful. So we could take our meditation practice to a new level for meditating in our lucid dream. You you know, in the second book, uh, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple, uh, my co-author and I, uh, Carolyn McCready, we wrote a chapter on meditating and lucid dreams. And I I think we're really the first one uh, in the Western world who've written that. And it's, it's fascinating. Um, If you stop in a lucid dream and begin to meditate, normally you'll find within 30 or 40 seconds, you, you will quickly drop to a super transcendent state. And it's, it's really phenomenal uh, when that happens. Uh, Now, I need to say, though, that meditation is different for different people. Um, In my lucid dreams, when I meditate, it means I empty my mind. Uh, I just let go and empty my mind. Uh, For other people, they might chant a mantra. And sometimes they'll report that now it's like a thousand others are chanting the mantra with them. Or sometimes a dream figure will show up that'll teach them how to chant the mantra correctly. And because they're not enunciating uh, the syllables correctly. And, and I always find that interesting uh, when your inner teacher uh, shows up and, and, and corrects you a little bit. But, but there's all different types of meditation, but people have just amazing experiences. Have you been able to tap into the ultimate goal of you know just the oneness, the seeing of the white light? So uh, I'll tell you what happened to me. Um, so again, in 1975, I taught myself how to lose a dream. In 1985, I realized that there was this awareness behind the dream and I began to explore it. I, I explored a lot of different things. And so what happened, uh, so 20 years in 1995, all of a sudden it occurred to me that a lucid dream appears to be a co-creation of my larger awareness and myself working together. A regular dream seems to be a co-creation of my larger awareness and myself working together. And then then I started to realize that even the waking state seems a co-creation. My personal experience of the waking state seems to be a co-creation of my larger awareness and, and my ego waking self. And so then I began to wonder, if that's the case, 
and all of these are basically mental constructs, then what's a real reality? What's a real reality? Mm -hmm. Is there such a thing as a real reality? And when I began to think like this, suddenly I'd fall asleep at night and the entire night would be nothing but blue light. And I remember the first time this happened, um, I woke up and I looked at my dream journal and I thought, what do I put in my dream journal? Blue light? Because there was no me, no action, no plot, no nothing. It was just blue light the entire night. And so this would happen intermittently uh, throughout the uh, next weeks and, and all. I remember one morning uh, I came down to the breakfast table and my wife looks at me and she goes, she goes, Robert, what's happening to you? And I, I asked her, what, what do you mean? And she said, last night, I believe I woke up and looked at your face and I've never seen someone in such bliss before. So what's happening to you? Wow. And I, I told her, I, I said, well, I'm trying to understand the actual nature of reality and I'm having some pretty wild experiences. And so, so this went on. I had another experience where I met a being of blue light. So this being was probably about 15, 16 feet tall, and I could actually look through it. That, that's why it didn't have blue skin. It was composed of blue light, and it had a little crook in its left arm and a little sash. And I ran past it, and there was this explosion of sound. And when I woke up, I, I, I felt like I had this intuitive thinking that every cell in my body has somehow been changed by this sound that happened when I ran up to this uh, blue light beam. But then it was after that, one night I'm falling asleep and my larger awareness told me as I'm falling asleep, if I wanted to go to the, go the distance, I might cease to be. And, uh -huh. and I, I think it literally meant I might die. And I, I told my larger awareness, I said, if I don't come to understand the actual nature of reality, then all this life up to this point is just some weird tragic comedy. I, I want to know. I agree to cease to be. And I'll tell you one reason that I think I could do that was that I had interacted enough with my larger awareness that I knew my larger awareness was like this giant thing. And, and the Robert Wagoner ego waking self is like this tiny thing by comparison. And, and so I said, I agree. And so then if you can imagine this, and here's where uh, our language gets to it because our language is kind of dualistic, but imagine awareness aware within awareness. That's the only way to explain it. So this light of awareness aware within the light of awareness. And in those moments uh, that occurred, it stopped. Now I'm standing next to a guy in a robe. And I, I said, what was that? Was that a lucid dream? And he said, oh, no, to enter a lucid dream, go here. I stepped into that space, and now I'm hurtling through a tunnel of light and eventually end up in a lucid dream. But when I woke up in the morning, you know what it seemed like? It seemed I, I just had this kind of intuitive knowing that it was like a near-death experience. Mm. You know, uh, uh, in a near-death experience, the person basically ceases to be. And, and I'll tell you, uh, in the lucid dream experience, though, well, this wasn't really a lucid dream. It, in the sleep experience of, of allowing awareness, you, you basically have to allow yourself to cease. And the reason this is important is because in the dream state and lucid dreaming and waking, you see that you're, 
beliefs and expectations and focus and tense your emotions, they all get projected out there from the energy of yourself and then you relate to them. And, and, but when you wake up and realize that that's what's really going on, that's when you begin to wonder, well, what, what's the real reality? What's the real reality beyond beliefs and self-history and ideas and feelings and all that kind of stuff? And so uh, it was funny when my first book came out, I got an email from a um, Buddhist abbot at a large temple in, in Europe. And he told me, he goes, he goes, you must be a dream yoga master because he said that he had gone to a three-year dream yoga monastery, I believe in Nepal. And he said, your book in Western terms explains everything that they were trying to teach me. And he said, I learned things by reading your book because you talked about it in just a Western straightforward way. And, and, and he goes, he goes, I can't believe it. This, you, you hardly even mentioned Buddhism, but this book is a work of Buddhist dream yoga. And um, it, it's really been wild because um, I, I do realize that, that this connection with Buddhism does exist mm -hmm. in my kind of psychic lineage. And uh, it's, it's really phenomenal. Wow, that's amazing. That is fantastic. So I'm sure that you've kind of dove into in your lucid dreaming practice into your past lives and maybe past origins to maybe you had this information and you're pulling it forward into this incarnation to get it out into the world in a broader manner. You know, um, in my very first book, uh, when I delivered it to the editor, I had a chapter on engaging past life aspects in lucid dreams because I, for about nine months that's what I focused on in my lucid dreaming and my editor wrote back and said boy your book is getting kind of long and I heard this uh, Gallup poll uh, this morning on national public radio that only 20 percent or 25 percent of Americans believed in past lives and so I'm just gonna toss that chapter out and uh, give it back to you and so so it's right uh, I, uh, I went about a process of investigating this. And I'll tell you one reason I did this though. Um, as a young guy, I had some interesting experiences. Uh, like it, I grew up in the Midwest, in our family, we never had alcohol in the house, we just didn't. And uh, so one night, imagine uh, this, I find myself looking through the eyes of this guy who's wearing a heavy wool coat. And in his right hand, he has a glass of wine, of red wine. And, and I can see around his apartment, and I think there's gas lights on the wall. So gas lights were around the 1890s, 1900, when they used gas lights. And all of a sudden I know, oh, I think I'm in the Netherlands. I, I think uh, the dock is right behind where he's seated. I, I could literally see the sunlight coming through the apartment. Anyway, the guy brings up the glass of wine up to his mouth. And, and again, I'm like a 13, 14 year old kid having this experience. He brings it up to his mouth, takes a sip and the wine explodes in his mouth and it explodes in my mouth as well. And I wake up as a little kid thinking, wow, is this what wine tastes like? That was incredible. 
And, you know, I, I probably only had that experience happen uh, three or four times in my waking life where, where wine has been so great, it's kind of exploded in my mouth. But when I woke up, I, I realized that I think I'm actually looking through the eyes of another life. And what was important about this at the time is, uh, uh, you know, when you grow up in a Protestant Christian house, you, you just kind of accept the idea that, oh, you have one life and you better be good and you want to go to heaven, don't want to go to heck and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and sometimes you think, well, gosh, what about that three-year-old child who died? You know, do they go to heaven? Do they go? Well, all that kind of stuff. But right. all of a sudden it started to make me realize, you know, I think there's more going on here. I think that this isn't my first time at the rodeo that, you know, there's been other lives and other times uh, that, that I've been involved in. I, I, I do want to say that uh, one of my brothers passed away. Um, I don't know when that was, 10 years ago or so. And the night before he passed away, uh, I became lucidly aware and I stepped into a room uh, with a spiritual friend of mine. Uh, and, and there, seated at tables that formed a backward swastika, which in Buddhism is the wheel of samskara, samsara. There seated at all these tables was like about 160, I think, of his past lives. And if you, you can imagine people of all races and ages and, and situations, and it was stunning. It was stunning to see that and realize that, you know, we, I really don't think we have five or 10 past lives. I, I think a lot of us, you know, we're, we're going into the hundreds uh, of times. I remember in, in that particular uh, lucid dream, I, I asked my friend, where do we sit in all of this? And he goes, oh, we sit here at the very center because in the center of the wheel, of course it's empty. So the wheel can continue to spin. But um, it's, it's truly phenomenal. Um, uh, I had another experience uh, uh, going to the physical location of a place that I looked through the eyes of someone and, um, and, and 400 years later, it still looks exactly almost as it did uh, 400 years earlier. And, and finding the exact spot is just like, whoa, it is incredible. It's, it, was, it was the first settlement in Gloucester Bay in Gloucester, Massachusetts. And I found the exact spot of the cabin that I was looking out through. And, and here was the weird thing. The Robert is thinking, is thinking, wait a second, I'm looking to the south. How can I be looking at the Atlantic Ocean? Because I can see the harbor mouth and out to the Atlantic. And when I woke up, I thought, well, that, that dream's inaccurate. I wasn't looking through that woman's eyes. You know, that just doesn't make any sense because everyone knows the Atlantic is to the east and the Atlantic wouldn't be to the south. And then I got out a map of Massachusetts and Gloucester Harbor looks to the south and, and from there. But I could see the tall ships in the bay. Uh, it, it was truly phenomenal. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a funny thing, Liz. When I was a kid growing up in Kansas, I never wanted to go to the Boston area and that part of the country. I just, I just had a total inner 
I don't want to go. I don't want to go over there. Wow. And that's such a strange thing because it's you know it's two thousand miles away. I don't have any connection. Don't have any family connection to it. I just just didn't like it from the get go. But I I realized that uh, this woman whose eyes I looked through, uh, she was a Puritan woman. Her husband went to sea and never returned, and so she lost all her status. What was she? Was she a widow? Was she divorced? Did he find a new wife, you know, in a different harbor? What happened? And she, she had no status. And uh, it, it really opened my eyes up to how that connected to one certain aspect of my personality at that time, which was kind of this uh, kind of uh, bitter sarcasm that would occasionally come up. I, I thought, where's that coming from? Wow. But I, real, I realized this woman, she was trapped in this uh, Puritan system and, and she's trapped in this new land and her husband hasn't returned and she's lost all status. And, and what she did to make money, she, she knitted the uh, heavy sailcloth. And you can't believe when she was holding this sailcloth in her hand, I thought, boy, what is this stiff, heavy cloth that she has? And when I woke up, I realized, oh my God, it's the sailcloth. It's, it's from those massive sales that used to come across the Atlantic. But anyway, I was glad that I went to Gloucester. I was glad that I found the exact spot. As soon as I found it, there were like a hundred crows in a nearby tree just went crazy. As soon as I found it, all these crows just, just going wild. Wow. So, so those are some long stories. I, I hope oh, that is amazing. I'm glad you yeah. shared them with us. Yeah, that's fantastic. So then so we're able to work with our past lives. We're able to communicate with our superconscious. We're able, you know, or the observer, whatever you want to call it, and ask all these different questions. So what are the questions that we should be asking when, okay, we've noticed our hands, we're in, well, I guess let me go a step before that. So we've noticed our hands, we're in the dream. I've had lucid dreams where um, I stood up to... Um, a repetitive dream that I had had since I was a child in my late forties. So I've had that experience, but I've also had the experience where, Oh, I'm lucid. And I get so excited that I knock myself out of the dream. So how do we keep ourselves in the lucid dream? And then what are the questions, you know, that we should be asking when we're in there? Right. So, so uh, I, I just want to talk a little bit about as soon as you become lucid um, here's what I teach people in my workshops. The, the first thing you want to do is not get too excited. But because like you say, a lot of us get so excited, you know, we realize, hey, this is a dream. And we get so excited, boom, we pop out of the dream. So one thing I've realized in a lucid dream is anything that you announce in your mind or verbally, like calm down, it'll immediately happen in a lucid dream state. So all you have to do is tell yourself, calm down, or you can look back at your hands or something boring, you know, whatever it is, look at the floor just reduce that level of emotion. Then what you might wanna do is enhance your awareness. And so in the lucid dream to make it more stable, you might wanna rub your hands together. And even though they're dream hands, you'll still have this kinesthetic feeling of, of being there in the dream space. You might wanna reach out and touch something and, and kind of ground yourself in that space. So, and you can even announce greater clarity now or more awareness now. So, so now what you're doing is helping to stabilize lucid dream. And th then you get to the next step. Uh, you can either think, okay, what's my goal? What do I want to achieve? Or if you go exploring, you have to maintain your focus. You have to remember every 20 or 30 seconds, this is a dream. I'm dreaming this. 
because it seems so real, you'll just return to regular dreaming. But but that's that's kind of the three-step approach. Reduce your emotions, enhance your awareness, maintain your focus, and then you can explore or uh, reach out to the larger awareness. Hey, dream, show me something important for me to see. That, that's the easy steps. Now, now, when it comes to looking at your hands, a lot of us know from our intro to psych courses about uh, the Russian physiologist, Ivan Pavlov, who would ring a bell every time he'd feed his dogs, ring a bell every time he fed his dogs. Then he could ring a bell and the dogs would salivate because they'd come to expect being fed. But he called that a conditioned response. And so this is what you're doing by looking at your hands, the palm of your hands every night. You're telling yourself, tonight in my dreams, when I see my hands, I'll realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams, when I see my hands, I'll realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams, when I see my hands, I'll realize I'm dreaming. So you might be going through the dream and boom, your hands pop right in front of your face and you go, oh, wow, my hands, this is a dream. Or you might be climbing a ladder and see your hands and go, oh, my hands, this is a dream. You might be opening a door, see your hands. Oh, this is a dream. But the first thing you have to think is, my hands, this is a dream. That's the conditioned response. You can't see your hands and go, oh, I need a manicure or, oh, <laughs> you can't do that. It won't work. So anyway, uh, that's how I got into it. And, and, and a lot of people have told me that, that they've tried the technique and uh, just you know, had a lot of success with it. And then they've learned some of the other techniques from my books and all. But, but that's, that's how it all begins. The other thing that I do want to mention, though, is earlier I talked about us being in our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And occasionally for some people, um, they'll write me and they'll go, Robert, I became lucidly aware and I decided to do what you suggested in your book and reach out to the larger awareness. And as I was getting ready to ask my question, it got stuck in my throat and I couldn't say anything. And so the lucid dream is a really psychologically dynamic state. And if you feel hesitant about reaching out to your larger awareness, or if you don't like the idea of a larger awareness giving you advice, then you won't be able to hear or you won't be able to speak or something. So, so you don't have to ask me what's gone wrong. You just have to look at symbolically what happened and then you'll realize that, oh yeah, there's a part of me that's resistant to inner information. Oh, wow. So, so sometimes that occurs. But I, but I do wanna say though, as waking people, our larger awareness is part of who we are. And oftentimes in our intuitions and impulses, we get the information of our larger awareness directly to us. But a lot of times in the waking state, we just ignore it. It's just like, oh, I don't want to do that. Or, oh, if I did that, I'd be embarrassed. Or why do I want to do that? It's so much easier to do this. And, and we just talk down the intuitions and impulses. We do it all the time. It's, yeah. it's just wild. So, so a lot of, the, a lot of uh, becoming lucidly aware is to become more lucidly aware in our waking life. And when those intuitions and impulses come, uh, instead of ignoring them, the ones that we think are good or valid or for the better interest, we just go ahead and uh, give it a go and uh, let them happen. I love that. Words to live by, for sure. Okay, and now we're in the lucid state. We're staying in the lucid state. What are some questions that we can ask in our lucidity? You know, um, 
so here's what I would say. If you're a beginner at this, start out with something easy that makes you, that you think you can accomplish. Like for example, there's a woman who has a big website on lucid dreaming. And so she read my book and she thought, oh, I don't know if I want my larger awareness telling me yeah, something important. So this is what she did, Liz. She shouted out, hey, dream, show me something hilarious. And she said, suddenly on the road in front of her appears this multicolored gorilla. And it has this groovy walk as it's walking down the street towards her. And she said, it was so outlandish and hilarious. She said she just burst out laughing in the lucid dream <laughs> because she asked, show me something hilarious. And, that, and that's what she got. And so, so you have to start at your level of comfort. Don't go for the big potato like, hey, dream, show me my life's purpose or hey, dream, you know, uh, you know bring me Buddha right here. And, and just don't do that. You'll either get too excited and pop out or, or you'll get too caught up in all the emotions. So work your way into it. Um, I did have a, uh, a workshop where uh, there was a student who was a chemistry physics student in Australia. And that really surprised me. I asked her, well, why are you taking this course, um, you know, this 30-day course on lucid dream? She goes, oh, I want to learn in a lucid dream what is the experience of a neutron? And, and I go, what? And, or, or an electron. And, and I go, what, you want to become an electron? And she goes, yeah, I want in a lucid dream to become an electron and experience reality from a, an electron's perspective. It took her five lucid dreams because I told her, you have to let go of your beliefs and assumptions of what an electron is in. And on the fifth lucid dream, she, she woke up, she, she told the class, she said, I never could have imagined the joy that an electron feels being an electron. And, and so in this space around me now, you know, there, there's literally probably billions or trillions of electrons. And it really made me happy to think that beneath, beneath this phenomenal appearance, that there's just this experience of motion and joy and, and kind of uh, light. And, uh, but, but her, her experience was much more powerful. I'm just giving the quick, quick summary. I love that. Have you by chance gone in and asked about our situation that we find ourselves in right now? Well, I'll tell you something that happened to me. Um, boy, I don't know, this is five or six years ago. Um, I became lucidly aware one night and there was a woman looking at me with her eyes open. She looks like she's about 35 or so. And then there's a guy about the same age right next to her, but he was asleep. And, and, and so I became lucidly aware and the woman looked at me and she said, I want you to know that about a hundred years of your time is one year to me. And so I, I started doing the calculation. I thought, okay, if she's 33, 35, oh, oh I'm talking to a being who's 3,500 years old. I go, okay, I got that through my head. Then she says, so I want you to understand that ancient spiritual knowledge is returning to your system. I thought, what? Uh, she, goes, she goes, I want you to understand that ancient spiritual knowledge is returning to your system. And and that really surprised me, Liz, because first she said it was ancient, and then it was returning, like, like something that we had forgotten is coming back to us. And, and it just kind of showed how, how far off the path uh, that, that humanity has gotten to. But 
whenever I turn on the news and something horrible is happening or, or people are being cruel to each other, our, our countries are waging war against each other. I, I just think of this one. I think ancient spiritual knowledge is returning to your system. And I know that it looks bad and it is bad and you hate to see the suffering. But on the other hand, I think from the suffering and the pain and all that this is going to be the bed from which um, the new realizations occur that get people back on the right track and people get people back into a position of understanding and compassion and connection. And I think part of that mm -hmm. is connecting with our dream life and connecting with our unconscious, undiscovered part of ourself that actually exists, but we've just uh, ignored it for all these many years. Mm, well said. Great. Is there a pearl of wisdom that you would like to leave us with today? Oh, man. As I went deeper into lucid dreaming, sometimes a voice behind me would say, trust, nothing to fear. And sometimes up in the sky would be a sign, a banner that said, trust, nothing to fear. And so I hope people as they go about their life will, will think about that, will think how, how our fears limit our life. Now, now some fears are, are very valid. You don't wanna step in front of a truck or something like that. That's a very valid fear. What I'm talking about are these other fears about achieving your potential, achieving your place in life, becoming the person who you truly are, expressing yourself. Don't let those fears stop you. You know, you have to trust in your own abilities, trust in that inner power, that inner wisdom, and, and let it express itself. Mm, that's beautiful. Beautifully said, Robert. Thank you. Oh, thanks. I love that. Oh, gosh. That was... I just want to sit with that for a second because I think that was really important for not only myself, for our listeners to let sink in for a minute. Yeah. And I loved what you said about the ancient wisdom coming back onto the planet. I had my truth prompts to my core when you were saying that. Yeah. It's, it's a welcome, welcome thing for sure. Yeah. It, oh. it, there's more going on than the surface. You know, there each, each night we spend 23% of the night in the dream state and, uh, at, in the dreams, we, we actually connect. And so I, I think there's, there's something really powerful going on. It's a difficult transit, but I, I think that things are going to get better sometime in the future. I agree. Exactly when, I'm not sure. <laughs> Wonderful. Robert, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure to host you and all the information you've shared has been incredible. It's been wonderful. Liz, thanks very much. And uh, I, I appreciate the time. Awesome. And how can people reach you or get a hold of your books? Are there some um, things that are coming up that you would like to share? Well, I, I um, routinely have um, online workshops with uh, IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences. I also do uh, online workshops with GuideWing, GuideWing.com. But you can all check it out at my website, uh, lucid-dreaming-advice.com or my magazine, uh, luciddreamingmagazine.com. You can find out what I'm up to. Awesome. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Liz.
Thanks. And thank you everyone for joining me today. I'm Liz Peterson, and this is Raise the Vibe with Liz. Thank you, Robert, again. And thank you everyone for joining me. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Raise the Vibe with Liz. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And my website is lizeshealingtouch.com. Thank you everyone. And remember to get out there and raise the vibe. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.